7, Mark chapter 7, and the passage which we read earlier, which we're considering this morning. We've asked God to speak to us, now we need to listen. Isn't that right? It's hard to get away from chat of the border these days. They say that the quest for a Brexit deal this autumn now hinges on one issue and one issue only. And that's the Irish border. There are not many people in England that don't know where Northern Ireland is anymore. And I used to meet a few of them. It's a great conundrum for the British government and the EU. How do you get a frictionless border that is a border for goods and services and customs? How do you make it seamless but not seamless? How, do you, how does any solution not just result in another border down the Irish Sea, which of course is unacceptable to some and to many? And of course the other problem is the clock is ticking. There are only six months to go. Jesus, uh, in this passage, gets out his passport, if you will, and crosses the border, not once, but twice. In the first case, uh, he he ventures north, uh, you can see it on the map there, uh, to to, to Tyre and Sidon uh, on the... uh, on the coast up north this is of course uh, Gentile territory uh, this is modern day Lebanon Israel is below this on the map and in fact it's a, it's a hard border actually to cross today uh, you have to be in the UN or a diplomat or something to cross from northern Israel into Lebanon just like Jesus does here so many years ago it's closed for the rest of us mere mortals you can't do it it's too dangerous ordinary people are not allowed and this, of course, is a hard border for Jesus to cross in his day. Not, not physically, uh, but, but culturally and, and religiously and, and socially and, and racially and all sorts of ways like that. First of all, this morning we can see dogs entire. Dogs entire. Even up uh, in north in Tyre, Jesus is, is clearly struggling uh, to, to keep himself hidden uh, from those who want to push him forward into the limelight as a, as a sort of political solution. As, as has been the case increasingly lately, uh, uh, they, they, they see him as a, a solution, to, 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 uh, as a military sort of messiah to come and deal with the Romans. In this region he was clearly already known, it's, it's obvious there. Crowds from here had, had formed part of the great crowds that, 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 that had thronged around him back in chapter 3. People from this very place. You might remember back then that uh, he doesn't want to get crushed by the numbers and so the disciples and he withdraw to, to a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Now in chapter 7, uh, before um, we, we had... Um, an emphasis on matters of the law and debates among the Jewish establishment about commandments. And, and the emphasis has now shifted from matters of the law and commandments uh, to those without the law at all. And just like the old prophet Elijah, who, was, uh, who himself helps out a desperate non-Jewish woman uh, in this very region, uh, in, in Zarephath, back in, in, in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 17, Jesus does the same. This particular woman doesn't know about Jesus already. She's only just found out about him. That's the way it's put there in verse 25. You see it? But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him. 
and came and fell down at his feet. And as soon as she hears about Jesus in, in this house that, he, that, that she's visiting and, and has found Jesus in him, she, she shatters at any hope of his privacy by falling at his feet. As I said, she's clearly desperate, isn't she? It's, the, it's, the, it's, it's obvious. She, she, she begs Jesus, it says, to deal with a major problem that she's got in her family. Her little daughter is possessed by an unclean spirit, it says. And she wants Jesus to drive the demon out of her. Of course she does. And what Jesus says is, is more, in response, is more than a little strange. Isn't it? Let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the, little chil- the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You say, that's not very nice. And by the way, what on earth is he on about? Well, it's, it's another parable. Jesus talks in parables often, and here this is a parable. A parable that, that speaks about the priority of the, of, of the Jewish people of Israel over the Gentiles. That's the key point here to this parable. The children he speaks about are the children of Israel. Uh, the bread is the good news, which, which, which is brought to, to them first. It goes along with what Paul talks about in Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, to the Gentiles. In fact, it's right to say that Jesus himself was for them first, as the bread of life. And that makes sense, doesn't it? For they got all the lead up to Jesus, didn't they, the Jewish people? They got all the foundations. To them belonged the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the, the, the worship and the promises. To them belonged the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans 9. They had all the lead up. They had all the lineage. They had all the law and the prophets uh, which pointed to him that the gospel is for the Jews first. But, but in the days after Jesus rises from the dead uh, in the book of Acts, the disciples go to the Jews first but soon they're going to the Gentiles as well just like Jesus practices here when he's on earth now back to the dogs you say that sounds a little offensive to me, Uh, that sounds harsh and and yes it does to our ears that sounds harsh But, but, but three things I would say here okay, firstly it's probably not as harsh sounding in those days as it is to our ears today For the woman herself uses the term for herself and her daughter. You see it there? It can't be be that offensive. Secondly, you also have to take into account the fact that Jesus himself undermines the very idea of, of not going to the unclean Gentiles. By going himself to the unclean Gentiles. So that can't really be what he thinks. Most Jews wouldn't dream of such a thing, for they believed that the the law even spoke against it. But it didn't. And thirdly, it's the traditional distinction between Jew and Gentiles that was used in Jesus' day. Jesus is merely repeating what society is saying. I think you could use our little phrase, so-called, to explain the gist of that. You know, I could talk about so-called legal highs. A kind of outsider looking on way of using what they're commonly known as without ever making any personal comment on the rights or wrongs of the phrase. So-called dogs. You get the idea? 
For the Jewish person in pagan, uh, for the Jewish person, a, 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 a pagan from Tyre was certainly a dog, an unclean, wild, unkempt animal to them. For Tyre, in fact, was a very, uh, an incredibly pagan place. This was the most extreme expression of, of, of paganism that they could probably imagine. Whatever went on up there, up north, you know, all sorts of sordid things went on up there. So this woman, of course, has very little going for her. In fact, she, she probably has the, has the least going for her of all the people that approach Jesus in, in the Gospels so far or even after. She's a woman, which in, that, in those days is a, is a problem. She's, she's a Gentile. She's from the pagan of pagans. She, she, her daughter is possessed by a demon. And she's, only, and, she, and she's heard nothing about Jesus before. She's, she's, she's well down there in terms of, 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 of chances. Of, of, she's well. Um, she's, she's very little going for her. But don't, but don't miss um, a very important point here. Because as Jesus tells this parable, do notice that the woman gets it. She gets it. And that's the first time that anyone has done that. Jesus has been telling parables and nobody gets it. He even explains it to the, to the disciples and they just about manage. And, and, but but she, she gets it. She understands the purpose of Israel's Messiah better than Israel does itself. She gets the promise to Abraham that in you will all the nations be blessed. She gets what it says in Hosea that those who are not my people I will call my people. And her who was not beloved I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them you are not my people there will be called sons of the living God. She gets it that the gospel is also for the nations. And she calls him Lord as well. You see that? No one else has done that before either. And no one else will in Mark's gospel. In fact, she replies, doesn't she? With a, with, with a similar parable of her own. To show that they speak the same sort of language. Jesus and her. It's not hard to be impressed with this woman. I'm very impressed with her. And I think we all should be. And it's actually for this, this sort of return parable that, that we're told that Jesus responds with casting out the demon. That's the way it's put there. Because of this parable, then Jesus acts. He sees her faith, he, her understanding, and her humility. And she trusts in him as her Lord. And her faith is rewarded with a miracle. Her response continues that, that children's and dogs theme, doesn't it? And she's saying, let the children eat. Let them eat first, absolutely. <laughs> let, let, let him reach the lost of Israel, but, but also let him be a light to the Gentiles. Oh yes, Jesus feeds the Jewish people. He fed them on the mountainside a couple of chapters ago, remember? 5,000 of them and more. Jewish people. And in chapter 8, he's going to feed them again. 4,000 of them and more this time. For theirs is the privilege in the first case. And then at the end of both meals, there's plenty left over for the rest. And so it's now food for the outsiders, uh, for, the, for the Gentiles, for the nations. It's, the overflow is for them. And in the parables, the dogs, the Gentiles, have, have went from, 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 
from the popular view of wild, unkempt, untamable pagans to, to domesticated pets that are actually under the table when the children eat. Did you notice that? In fact, that word for dogs that Jesus uses is not even the word for an unruly street dog and mongrel that, that sort of barks and howls in the night. No, he's using a word for a small dog that you might keep at home. And she keeps the idea up with her answer. Uses the same word. It's just a little dog that's under the table. It's not a, it's not a mongrel. It's not something on the street. Just Jesus here is like uh, the, the father who, who feeds the children and the pet dogs in the family home. To the privilege to eat first and then the overflow to the rest. And Jesus speaks the word here from afar. He's not with the daughter. The little girl's at home in bed and when by the time mum gets back, Satan's uh, demon has left her. Because Satan to Jesus must bow. For Jesus is the mighty God. Martin Luther was very keen on this story. He says, she took Christ at his own words. He then treated her not as a dog, but as a child of Israel. For she was a true child of Israel, even though she lived across the border. One who had faith. One who believed in the Lord. One who believed in the Jewish background king of all kings. Yes, Jesus Sort of is scrapping the political ideals of Israel, isn't he? He's, he's working across the border. This isn't Israel anymore. No political solution for her. He's over the border. And he takes his ministry well beyond the border. And he takes it well beyond the physical realm. And he goes to anything uh, conceivable of the Messiah. By visiting this woman. He crosses the geographical boundary. He crosses the gender boundary. He crosses the cultural boundary. He crosses the ethnicity boundary. He even crosses the ritual purity boundary. Because, of course, you weren't meant to go near these people as a good Jew. They were dogs. They were unclean. Earlier in the chapter, he's declared that all foods are clean. And here he's declared that all people are clean as well. Clean to reach He reaches out far beyond the border. But notice he doesn't give her a different message. Even though she's from a different place. Even though she's not even from Israel. No, it's the same message, isn't it? It's it's the same Jewish background Messiah. That the nations need. For there is only one message. The dog's entire. Now secondly, uh, notice the death in Decapolis. In the second part of the passage that we're considering this morning, Jesus crosses the border again. Now it's not north this time, but to the southeast. And the the, the passage tells us that he goes via Sidon. So he sort of goes up north and then makes his way the whole way back down again, Sea of Galilee, and then the capitalists on the other side, which is in the bottom right-hand corner of the map. And you can hopefully see it there. The Capolis is the name given to a Gentile region, again, uh, made up of ten main towns that were originally a sort of settlement for Greek soldiers many centuries before. Now Jesus has actually been here before. Uh, we saw this in chapter 5 uh, when, he, when he met the demoniac in a place called Gadara, which is on the map. This is again a very pagan place. 
Uh, if you went to this place, uh, let's face it, why would you? Uh, but if you did, on the way back home across the border as a good Jew, you shook the dust off your feet. Unclean. Rewind a bit in your memory to the man that Jesus cast the demons out of back in chapter 5. If you, if you heard, if you were here, uh, this, this man, uh, of course, wanted to follow Jesus back across the border. Uh, back to be his disciple and Jesus says no 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 you stay here this is where you need to to be my disciple and he begins to tell other people we're told right around the Decapolis he's an evangelist he, he, he proclaims he, he tells the good news about Jesus and clearly the news has spread because on his return Jesus is re- approached by people bringing a, a deaf man aware that Jesus can help him. Uh, This is a man who's deaf, uh, but also has a speech impediment, as deaf people frequently do. The two things go together. And again, like before, there's desperation in play because they beg Jesus to heal the man. Verse 32. Again, there's there's obviously some knowledge here of, of, of what Jesus has done before. And it's not the away back home, uh, you've destroyed our local pig industry this time. No, it's, it's come and help us, isn't it? Jesus takes the man to the side. He doesn't want a spectacle. Uh, he, he takes him to the side and he heals him by putting his fingers into his ears and spitting and touching his tongue, we're told. And then he looks up to heaven and speaks a word in Aramaic, Ephaphatha. Which, which we're told means be opened. It's there in verse 34. You see, Mark here, the, the author, again has the non-Jewish outsider in mind. He's not writing to a Jewish audience. He's writing to people that, that are Gentiles. And he doesn't want a, an unnecessary barrier. So he doesn't just put Ephaphatha in there and leave it. No, he gives them a translation. He, he says it means be opened. He's thinking about them. He's trying to help them. He's trying to help them to understand. Notice that um, we immediately have healing here. There's no doubt as to whether this man would have gotten better anyway. Like maybe, maybe you go to the doctor sometimes and he gives you an antibiotic and you're thinking, yeah, I'll take it, but I probably would have got better anyway. Or maybe you don't think like that. <laughs> Is it really making me better or, or was I going to be better anyway? No, this man was deaf permanently, and now he can hear permanently. And the first words that he hears are the words of the Word made flesh. For God is at work in him. That's powerful, isn't it? God is at work, and he can do miracles. And his tongue is released, we're told, and he he doesn't have to learn to speak again over a long process. No, immediately he speaks plainly. And I'm sure high up the list of his words were praises for the man, the the God-man that's just done something incredible for him. The one who's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature that's standing in front of him. The one who shows us what God is really like. And that's precisely the point. Don't you wonder why Jesus sighed as he looked up to heaven there in verse 34? I wonder, is he comparing the one in heaven with the one made in his image in front of him? And sighing at the difference? 
Is he bemoaning the the impact of that first sin on mankind? And the the insidious sort of spread of it right across. And look what it's done to people. Is that what he's sighing for? We're not told, but I, I wonder. Don't forget that Jesus is here on earth. Not as an example of how to be a good man. He's not even here as a miracle worker. He's he's certainly not a political solution to Israel's struggle with the Romans. No, he comes to fix the broken world. He comes to fix these broken people, all of us. He comes as a solution. You see, he's the perfect image of God. And we once had that image on full display in us. But that was a long, long, long time ago. We are not like the animals, of course. We we are the pinnacle, the high point of God's creation. Because we are made in the image of God. That means that we can talk and communicate. And we can process thoughts. We can can understand words. we We can create things. We can have rational minds. And we can bring order out of chaos. Which is what I do every time I tidy up my child's bedroom. Bring order out of chaos. That's one of your rules in the world. But Adam and Eve, they disobey. And sin begins to impact all of it. We haven't lost the image of God, but it's broken. And so there are people who get sick. Not because those people as individuals did something deserving of that, but because we we in general did. And and people uh, are blind, same reason. And people are deaf, same reason. And people sadly die, same reason. It's the impact of our sin. It's the corruption of the image of God. That's why Jesus is sighing for me. For it's a terrible thing to compare what it would have been like to what it is like. I'm quite sure the little girl in the first part uh, has her life impacted by this unclean spirit. Just like the, the madman did. You know, he, was, he was running around uncivilized, wild and, and, and unkempt. He was breaking chains. He, was, he, was, he, he couldn't live in the community. I'm sure she doesn't go swimming and get many invites to birthday parties. Because the demon would be ruining her life. He he would be destroying the image of God in her. She must be like a wild animal. She, She must be like a wild dog even. But Jesus comes to tame and to domesticate, to, to wage war on Satan, that old snake. To bring inside, to, to bring order out of chaos, to, to bring around the table to eat. I say to Cherith, uh, my wife, that, that, that I'm a fixer. Many men are like that. I can't comment on women. <laughs> Many men are like that. We, we see a problem and we want to do something, to do anything, even if it makes it worse. But we, we tried, just so we can try to fix. And here's the link between the two stories this morning. Because, uh, yes, they're, they're both across the border in Gentile territory. Yes, in both cases, Jesus is begged to act by the people that are desperate. But Jesus is a fixer. He's beginning to fix the ruination of the image of God in people. That's why he heals the sick. That's why he casts out the demon. He enables them to speak and to hear and to understand. 
He's restoring the image of God. He's sending Satan away for he's the one that told that lie. And he's fixing the impact of sin. And the consequences of that first act of Adam and Eve of disobedience. And what do they say in verse 37? He has done all things well. Who created mankind on day six and declared it to be very good? Who did all things well back then? God did. And Jesus is beginning to fix it. The broken world. And these people uh, are, are, are across the border. They're not just Jews. They're part of the nations. Listen to Isaiah. Well, let's fast forward uh, to the end of the Bible uh, with, with that in mind when, it, when it's all fixed, right? Now listen to Isaiah 35. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground spring of water. In the hunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, it shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The world is fixed. No more sin. No more consequences. It's the promised king. And he's starting here. The dogs in Tyre. The, the deaf in, in Decapolis. But what about, the, what about the difficult in Dundonald? You see it's easy isn't it? To, to stay where we are. It's easy to retreat to, to where it's comfortable. Uh, I mean, to to talk Christian things to Christian people, uh, to to socialise with Christian people. I mean, I can think of many good solid reasons for doing that. I mean, the rest of the people, well, they're they're pagans, right? And they aren't like us. And the Bible calls them the world because they are unclean and um, they are on the side of the devil. And and they're too wild and they're performing all sorts of evil things out there. And and, and they're deaf, aren't they, to God's word? It doesn't impact them. They won't listen. uh, Because in one ear and out the other, uh, they have no respect for it when they hear it. It's just another voice in 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 a world of voices. Makes plenty of sense, doesn't it? To stay on this side of the secular, sacred border on holy ground, doesn't it? To keep away on the bus in the office, down the post office. But of course it doesn't stop Jesus. It doesn't stop our leader. For what about what we share? For they are made in God's image just as, just as we are. And that image is ruined by sin just as it was with us. And, and we were fellow man. And, 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 and we're, we're enemies in one moment. But, but, but in the very next of the very people we're trying to reach. They are in need of food just as we were. We, we're beggars too. And we know where the bread is. And we found the bread of life. And, 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 and they're in the same pecking order as us. Because it's just as we're Gentiles so are they. By and large, I'm sure you could find the Jewish person 
Jesus crosses the hard border. And so we must. We must reach out beyond our normal circle of Christian friends. For him. Maybe you don't have any non-Christian friends. Well maybe that needs to change. Because we don't, we don't do uh, evangelism solely from this pulpit anymore. You know that? Far too many are falling off the precipice while we take stock and figure out why they won't come in the door. Far too many. We do it out there where you work and live and shop and meet people. So we're holding uh, an event called Uncover and we're holding it across the border. Now, not literally. We're having it in a coffee shop. We're using the, the, the room. We're hiring it, right? We're bringing our own eatables and drinkables. And it'll be a, a film clip and a discussion rather than a monologue. It'll be an opportunity to ask questions rather than be told what to think from the front. Because like Mark, we have the audience in mind. That they don't know Aramaic, so he tells them what it means. He doesn't want it to be a barrier uh, and to help them out to cross the border uh, to them, because people often are invited to church and, uh, and, and only a small number come. And, uh, but in fact, actually, the, the vast majority are glad they were invited. That's what the surveys tell us. They were glad they were invited. Now, you can analyse what that means or what you think that means, but there's a card in the seat in front of you this morning. Bring it out for a moment, will you? It looks like this. And with Uncover in mind in two weeks' time, I would like you to think about that little card, the white one at the front. Put it in your Bible, whichever Bible you read in the morning or at night, or you know, in your Bible that you're reading at the moment. And prayerfully ask God to lead you to two people who you can invite. Write their names on there when you know them. And pray, pray, pray that God will work in their hearts before and that they'll come and work in their hearts when they do come. This is, this is a course for, for outsiders, for, for those who are curious. It starts on the 7th on Sunday evening at 7 o'clock. It's for those who are curious, it's for those who have questions. So, so please bring someone along with you. But if you don't have someone to bring, uh, we'll, we'll still be having a time of prayer in the church at the same time uh, right here. For each of those five evenings. We are God's hands and feet. He's sovereign, absolutely. But he works through us. He works through you. Will you cross the hard border to reach the people of our, of our village, of our area, of your street, of your office, or surgery, or factory? When Jesus went to Decapolis last time, they sent him on his bike, didn't they? They weren't welcoming. They said, on you go. Please leave us. But he still went back. He doesn't give up that easily. He cared about them. He, 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 he went through the border again. And so we must. Jesus crosses the hard border to the difficult. 
And he calls us to do the same. Let's bow our heads together in a word of prayer.